0: Hello, sweethearts. Thanks for joining me today on Love Letters 2, the daily podcast dedicated to wonderful and unexpected things. In today's episode, continuing through our month of muses and makers, it is a love letter to Edith Wharton and the dollar princesses of the Gilded Age. Only a person who lives in the center of a world can write so eloquently and perceptively about the intricacies and social codes that exist within it. Through her novels, Edith Wharton has shown us what it was like to live among the old-money knickerbockers and the obscenely rich new-money families of the late 19th century. Edith Wharton's muses were her neighbors, friends, and acquaintances, the people she went to parties with, and the people who desperately wanted to be invited to those parties. In her books, we are able to glimpse a world that was as cutthroat and ambitious in the ballrooms as it was in the boardrooms. I'm Alicia Mintz, and I invite you to join me today for this love letter to Edith Wharton and the Dollar Princesses of the Gilded Age, coming to you right after a brief word from our sponsors. Edith Wharton and the Dollar Princesses. Edith, your novels have been staples of classic literature for over a hundred years. You, like so many other famous authors, wrote about what you knew. Your last novel, The Buccaneers, was left unfinished at your death. This was a fictional account of the transactions that took place between the nouveau riche Americans who were not accepted into high society and the impoverished titled Aristocracy of England you knew it firsthand. These daughters of the super-rich like the Vanderbilts, the Jeromes, the Works, the Singers, and the Lighters, with wealth born from the Industrial Revolution, essentially sold their daughters for an aristocratic title. Sometimes called Cash for Class or the Transatlantic Marriage Bureau, this was a common practice in the Gilded Age, and only one of the ways these new money families could find their way into the unwelcoming old money Knickerbocker society. But you had a whole life that came before that book. So let's see what led you to write The Buccaneers. You were born Edith Jones on January 24, 1862, in Manhattan. Both of your parents descended from American Revolutionary families and had been firmly established in New York society for generations. The Civil War greatly diminished your family's wealth, so your father decided to take the family to Europe to spare the embarrassment of having to downgrade your lifestyle. The cost of living was considerably less in Europe, so you could continue to spend lavishly there. Your childhood was one of luxury, travel, and culture. Your family returned to New York in 1872 when you were 10 years old, and you began to study writing. You came out as a proper debutante in 1879 and were considered an eligible bachelorette, but you never planned to stop writing. In 1882, your father died and your marriage prospects waned, especially as you were reaching your mid twenties, which was considered past the prime marrying age. In August of that year, you became engaged to Henry Layden Stevens, but his mother objected to your ambition and intellect so the engagement was broken off. In 1883, you met Teddy Wharton, a banker from Boston. In 1885, you married him. Although you didn't have much in common, and it's safe to say the marriage was not a love match, you summered in fashionable Newport and traveled to Europe in the winters. In the late 1880s, you became a published writer, beginning with short stories. In 1897, your book, The Decoration of Houses, was published. This was not a novel, but a design book in collaboration with the influential designer and architect Ogden Codman. You dabbled in writing plays, but in 1905, you published your first novel, The House of Mirth. It was about a beautiful but penniless socialite who had to find a husband to secure her future. In this novel, you've satirized the society you were a part of, calling out the absurdity of societal expectations and rules. The publisher, Charles Scribner, wrote to you and said The House of Mirth was the most rapid sale of any book ever published by Scribner. The commercial and critical success of this book made you an instant literary star. You followed that up with The Fruit of the Tree in 1907, Edith Frome in 1911, The Reef in 1912, The Custom of the Country in 1913, in addition to several others. By this time, though, you and Teddy had divorced, and you were living in the south of France, but the manners and the moors of the Gilded Age in America continued to be the subject matter for your novels, and as they provided endless characters and plot lines, you continued to write. You were probably best known for The Age of Innocence, published in 1920, again dealing with wealth, social class, and the old money versus new money distinctions. For The Age of Innocence, you were awarded the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction in 1921, making you the first female to win that award. You published The Glimpses of the Moon in 1922 and The Old Maid in 1924, You returned to the United States to receive an honorary doctorate degree from Yale in 1923, the first woman to be honored in that way. In 1926, you were inducted into the National Institutes of Arts and Letters. You continued writing, but your health was beginning to fail, and the loss of many friends and loved ones left you mourning. A contemporary New Yorker article described Wharton's work and characterizations of wealthy America as an omen or predictor of future events, stating, She spent her life formally proving that the wages of social sin were social death and lived to see the grandchildren of her characters comfortably and popularly relaxing into open scandals. Your muses were New York Knickerbocker Society. Mrs. Astor's 400, and all of those nouveau riche who could not buy their way into acceptable society. They were all around you, and you used them in your almost 50 books. But it is the muses in your last book, The Buccaneers, that we want to honor along with you in this letter. You were in the process of writing The Buccaneers in 1937 when you died. Although it was unfinished, it was still published the following year in 1938. The story focuses on the dollar princesses, the daughters that were sent to Europe to marry for titles so their family back home could finally be accepted into polite society. They were traded, along with significant amounts of money, for class and social standing. While there were multiple American heiresses put in this position during the late 1800s, you focused on a few of the most popular, Consuelo Vanderbilt, Jenny Jerome, and Frances Work. Anyone familiar with the history of the Gilded Age will recognize your name, Consuelo Vanderbilt. You were the beautiful and elegant daughter of William K. Vanderbilt and Alva Smith Vanderbilt. You were bred from birth to make a good marriage by your ambitious and determined mother. She was willing and able to use the vast Vanderbilt wealth to ensure she succeeded in her goal. You were forced to marry Charles Spencer Churchill, the Duke of Marlborough, in 1895, although you had no interest in him. His interest in you was purely financial, as Blenheim Palace the ancestral home of the Dukes of Marlborough, was in dire need of repairs that he could not afford. Consuelo, you were in love with someone already, an American named Winthrop Rutherford, but your mother did not care and had no intention of letting you escape her wedding plans for you. After bearing two sons and living in an unhappy and loveless marriage for over 25 years, you were finally able to divorce the Duke and marry a man you truly loved. Your story has a happy ending, at least, because you lived with your second husband, Jacques Balsan, for 35 years. You were even able to make peace with your mother and forgive her for forcing you into a marriage to improve her social status. Jenny Jerome, you may not be as well-known as Consuelo Vanderbilt, but you are a remarkable woman in your own right. Your story is different from Consuelo's in that you were actually in love with the man you married, Sir Randolph Churchill. Your mother was also an ambitious wife of a fabulously and newly rich husband. While your dad didn't care at all if he was accepted into society, your mother sure did. She was determined to use her three outstanding daughters to buy a spot in Mrs. Astor's ballroom as well. But Jenny, you didn't completely go along with her plan. You did marry an English aristocrat. But though he came from a grand and titled family, he was not the eldest son, so he was not considered a very prestigious catch. You, Jenny, were nothing if not strong-willed, and you insisted on marrying Sir Randolph Churchill, despite him not being the highest level of aristocracy. You reached the pinnacle of British society, though, when Bertie, Prince of Wales, and the future King Edward VII, took a shine to you. His infatuation with you lasted until his death. You were a bright and shining star with brash American ways and the confidence to walk into any room and be the center of attention. Men loved you and you loved men. You also had two sons with your husband. The eldest son was Winston Churchill, future Prime Minister of England. It is through you, Jenny, that he inherited his strong character, infectious charisma and iron fortitude. Oh, Francis Work, the last of our dollar princesses. You are a name that many people might not recognize, but your great-granddaughter, Diana Spencer, is known by everyone in the world as Princess Diana. Many people don't know that Princess Diana had American blood running through her veins, but you, Francis, were American through and through. You married James Burke Roche, the classic example of the charming, handsome, but extremely broke British aristocrat. It didn't take long to realize the marriage was a mistake. James was a philanderer and compulsive gambler. You were forced to continuously ask your rich father for more money to pay off your husband's debts. When your father had finally had enough, he refused to give you more money because he stopped pouring money down a rat hole. Your furniture being taken by bailiffs to be held until debts were paid was the final straw for you, Francis, and you ended your six-year marriage. Although your marriage was short and miserable, it produced three children. Your eldest son, Morris, had a daughter named Frances. She would end up having a daughter that she named Diana Frances Spencer, who would, of course, become better known as Princess Diana. And that is a storyline that, Even you, Edith Wharton, could probably not have imagined. Here's to you, Edith Wharton and the Dollar Princesses. You lived, documented, and dramatized the events of the Gilded Age in all of their splendor and ruthlessness. Edith, you are one of the most celebrated and prolific American authors and accomplished things that no female author had before you. Consuelo, Jenny, and Frances... You were the American beauties who married into the British aristocracy and found out the hard way that not all that glitters is gold. But what a legacy you left in the meantime. Your stories have been told and retold ever since. You had a front row seat to history, and your descendants made history, not in small part because of you, their American mothers, grandmothers, and great-grandmothers. Thanks for listening to this episode of Love Letters 2, honoring Edith Wharton and our dollar princesses. Until we meet again tomorrow, darlings, stay in love. Thanks for listening to Love Letters 2, a Hemlock Creatives production. Feel like showing some love to Love Letters 2? We'd love it if you tell a friend or leave us a kind review or even come and visit us on social media. You can find us at Instagram or Facebook at Love Letters 2 Podcast. You can also reach out and email us at loveletters2podcast at gmail.com or visit our website at loveletters2podcast.com. Until we meet again in the next episode, darlings, stay in love.